Hey, thanks for joining us here today at Victory Church, where we invite people to belong before they believe. If you want to know more about who we are and what we do, or if any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us in giving to this ministry, we invite you to do so by visiting our website at victory.church. Now, let's check out this week's message. Hey, welcome to Victory Church. We're so excited that you're here today for our gathering. I want to remind you next weekend is Christmas. And on Friday night and Saturday night, we will be doing our candlelight gatherings. Friday night, you can join us at 6 p.m. at either campus, Edmond or, or OKC. On Saturday night, we will be gathering at 4 p.m. at the OKC campus. And at the Edmond campus, we'll gather at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. So you want to be sure and be a part of that. On Christmas Day, I'm coming to your house for Christmas. Uh, it's going to be all online. There will be no in-person gatherings. And I'm going to sit down with you and your family. We're just going to do a great Bible study with some worship. It's going to be a very special day. So join us at 9 and 11 on Christmas Day. Today, I'm so excited to introduce to you our speaker. This is a man who's been an amazing part of my life. Every step and journey of my life in ministry this man has been pivotal as a mentor, as a pastor, as a friend in my life. Behind the scenes, he has helped us as a church in so many ways that if I could sit down and tell you, it would take me forever. This man loves you. This man loves Jesus. He loves the local church, and he loves Victory Church. Will you please join me in welcoming to the stage my pastor, Pastor Jimmy Evans. Good morning. Good morning. <clears throat> Thank you very much. Thank you very much. <clears throat> Good morning, everybody. It is wonderful to be here. Merry Christmas to everybody. And some of you have on some very festive clothes. I was going to wear my red sweater this morning, but I chickened out. I'm just not strong enough to do it. But anyways, good to see you. Welcome to the Edmond campus and everyone online. Would you welcome the Edmond campus, everybody watching online? We're so glad that you're with us. <clears throat> I've got relatives up in Edmond I hadn't seen in a long time, but a wonderful place. Um, if you have your Bibles there, if you would open to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I know Pastor John uh, has been talking about expectations, you know, what we, what we expect God to do. And that's what I want to talk about today. This message is called Indestructible Faith. I want to kind of talk about what to expect of the Lord related to our faith in Christ I want to talk about it on an individual level. I also want to kind of talk about it on a church level, about kind of what's going on in the church today in America. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This is the Apostle Paul, and he says, I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit of God and power, that your faith should not be 
in wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, I really like that scripture text. The Apostle Paul was absolutely a brilliant man. He wrote a lot of the New Testament. Um, he, of course, was trained under Gamaliel as a Pharisee, as a, as a Jew. He had a revelation of Jesus Christ when he was saved. And, of course, he has tremendous revelation that he shares in the Bible. If any person could persuade you by their intellect, it would be the Apostle Paul. He had that ability, but he said, I don't want to use that ability. He said, when I came to you, I made up my mind not to be persuasive in an intellectual sense because I want your faith to rest on the power of God, not on the wisdom of men. And so Paul was intentional about not trying to be persuasive on a human level. He was not self-promoting. He was not trying to build a brand, which is true today of too many churches and too many pastors. And he depended on the Holy Spirit to demonstrate the gospel rather than just talking about it all the time. Now, Pastor John and I have had this conversation many times. I've been on the board here at Victory for eight years, just in case you didn't know, kind of because of COVID, I wasn't here for a little while. I'll be here quite a bit in the next year, <clears throat> along with Pastor John. But the, the thing that Pastor John and I have talked about, because I've been a pastor for 40 years, I pastored a charismatic church in Amarillo, Texas for 30 years. And that is, we believe that you cannot preach people into where they need to be. There has to be the power of God that gets them there. Amen. Preaching is good, but we're overpreached. The church is overpreached. I, I believe that very much. Christianity and the Word of God are under attack today in America as never before. There's never been as much preaching today in the church and online, but we're under attack. Atheism is, atheism is exploding. Many Christians who call themselves Christians and pastors have now renounced Christianity and are deconstructing their faith. I know pastors who pastored churches, had large ministries, who now live as atheists, and they have renounced Jesus Christ. And this is increasing more all the time. You hear about it more all the time. And the church is shrinking in America. The church is not growing in America. And even pre-COVID, the church was shrinking. This is uh, Lifeway Research. They did a, a 2021 study this is based on data from three dozen denominations, and they found that 4,500 churches closed in 2019, while only 3,000 churches started. So in 2019, before COVID, there were a net 1,500 closures of churches. A lot of churches, previous church buildings are now bars or nightclubs or restaurants or something else because churches are closing. Uh, they also found that the median worship attendance in churches in America for the last 20 years has dropped from an average of 137 people to an average of 65 people over the last two decades. In other words, 20 years ago, the average church attendance was 137 people. Now it's down to 65 people. Every, every arrow is going this way related to Christianity in America today. And I want to stop and say, we're going to win. Jesus is going to win. The church is going to be victorious. So this... This is not a negative message about the church. I'm just going to tell you how we're going to get there. And we're not going to get there through the intellect of human beings. We're going to get through through the power of God. Okay. And so America has changed and much of the church has changed from emphasizing the gospel and Jesus crucified and the power of God to emphasizing a bunch of slick preachers and a bunch of slick churches. 
believing that we can somehow talk people into something that Jesus didn't try to talk them into. The ministry of Jesus was based on power. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. The deaf could hear. The blind could see. The lame could walk. And his messages were very simple. If you see Jesus' messages, they were very simple messages, but his ministry was profound. And Pastor John and I have talked about this. This is what we want for Victory Church. This is what we believe is going to revive the church in America. It's when we stop relying on our intellect and on our slick programming, and we begin to depend on the Holy Spirit. And Pastor John does this. I mean, Pastor John is amazing, I believe, as a leader that... I don't, I don't know if you've noticed this, but he's smart. Did you know that? I don't tell him that to his face because I don't want him to go to his head, but he's a very, very smart man, very good man. Um, but he, he is a person that relies very much on the Holy Spirit, and I'm very proud of him, and I'm very proud of this church. So the question is, how did we get here? I mean, wh why are we where we are in America today related to the church. I'm specifying America because there are areas of the world where there's great revival happening. Did you know where the greatest revival in the world is happening right now? In Iran. The, nation of Iran. the greatest revival in, a world, in the world right now is happening in the nation of Iran. Those people are desperate for God. The Iranian government is corrupt to their toenails. The Iranian people are precious. And many of them are turning, many, millions of them are turning to Christ. So why are we here... Why are we here uh, related to the church? And let me give you several answers to that. The first is we're living in the end times. And I want to talk about Bible prophecy for just a minute. Now, I, I was in Israel in the last two weeks. We got home on Tuesday. And last week I was on the Mount of Olives, uh, which overlooks the Temple Mount and uh, Jerusalem. And so Jesus, one day in Matthew 24, he was on the Mount of Olives with some of his disciples and they ask him the question, when is the end going to be? And we're very thankful for that question because in Matthew 24, he goes into a detailed answer about the signs of the end times, which are happening before us right now. Now, if you have a red letter edition of the Bible, Matthew 24 and 25 are all red. That's because it was one, it's called the Olivet Discourse. It's one discourse that Jesus gave, one, one speech that he gave. And so Matthew 24, Jesus is talking about the signs of the end times. Matthew 25, he talks about the judgments that are going to happen when he returns. And he tells two parables in a true story in Matthew chapter 25. He tells the parable of the virgins, the ten virgins. He tells the parable of the talents. And he tells the true story of the sheep and goat judgment that will take place. But the first parable that Jesus told was the parable of the virgins. And he said there was this man who went on this journey. He comes back, the bridegroom comes back. And there are 10 virgins waiting on him. All of these 10 virgins now are identified as being uh, future brides of the bridegroom. Jesus said five of the virgins were wise. Uh, and they had oil in their lamps waiting for the bridegroom to come. Now, in a Jewish wedding, uh, the, they were betrothed. The couple was betrothed. Then the, the groom went to his father's house to build a chuppah, a, a bridal chamber for his wife. And after about a year, after his father approved of the bridal chamber, the groom would come back, typically at midnight, always at night, uh, and he would come with his wedding party, and they would shout and blow trumpets and things. They'd come down the street. The bride had to sleep in her bridal gown, and she had to have an oil lamp lit and ready because she knew he was going to come at an inconvenient time. No cold cream, no, no flannel nightgowns, nothing like that. 
She had to be ready when he came. And so what he's saying is these five wise virgins, they were ready when, when, the, when the shout came out that the bridegroom was coming, they were ready. They had their oil lamps lit and they were ready for the bridegroom. But there were five other foolish virgins that didn't have oil in their lamps. It means that they weren't living ready. They, they weren't ready for the bridegroom. And they went to the wise virgins. The foolish virgins came to the wise virgins and they said, we need to borrow some of your oil. And they said, we can't loan you our oil. There won't be enough for you and us both. See, I can loan you a lot of things. I can't loan you my relationship with Jesus. And so the five foolish virgins went to get oil. The bridegroom came. The five wise virgins came into the marriage supper of the lamb. They came into the wedding. The five foolish virgins show up later, knock on the door. The bridegroom opens and said, I never knew you. Depart from me. We never had a relationship. Listen to what I'm saying. All 10 virgins are women who associated themselves with the bridegroom that someday they would marry him. This represents the church in the world today. According to Jesus, when he returns, half the church will be false. That's the moral of that story. Those are his statistics, not mine. And when you look at what's happening in America today, the liberalization of the American church is shocking. It's shocking. There, are, there are things I would say, but there are children here, of things that are happening in the church today that are absolutely horrifying. The churches are hosting this unbelievable stuff that's happening. Not this church, thank God. They're standing on the word of God. But their church is doing that. So part of what we're seeing is end time prophecy. Part of it is due to Pastors and leaders that are relying on their own abilities and not on the power of the Holy Spirit. There are secessionists that believe that the Holy Spirit doesn't work today. There are secessionists who believe the Holy Spirit doesn't speak today. If the Holy Spirit doesn't speak today, I need psychiatric help. I'm just telling you, I've been hearing voices. And I, I need some real serious help. But, and I pray for them. Because these are, these, some of these are our brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ. But I pray for them, but here's what I know is I've been a pastor for 40 years. Um, I came in the ministry in 1982. And um, God touching you will do more for you than 100 of my messages. That's the truth. That's the truth. We think too highly of our preaching and of our intellect and of our programs. And we have diminished the importance of the power of God in our lives. And we have now a generation that has powerless faith. Their faith is built on what they've heard preachers say without experience. And it cannot stand the test. Christianity is not a religion or a set of religious beliefs. It is a personal relationship with God that is supernatural and interactive. And without those components, nothing sets us apart. And there's no true basis for our assertions of uniqueness or superiority. We're just another dead religion. What sets us apart is the supernatural power of God. And that's what Paul was saying. Paul lived among pagans. He had, there were so many religions, and they all had a philosophy. They were all proud of their philosophies. They shared their philosophies. Brilliant people, Plato, Socrates, all these people had these brilliant philosophies. And Paul said, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not coming to you to show you how smart I am so I can talk you into something and your faith now rests on my wisdom or my intellect rather than on the power of God. I purposed when I was with you to be weak 
and in fear and in trembling and to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit so that when I'm finished, your faith will rest on the power of God, not on the wisdom of men. It's called experiential faith and it's indestructible. It's indestructible. The reason so many people are falling away is they don't have a faith that is based in God's power. It's based in a bunch of stuff that they've heard but they've never experienced. So let me talk about the foundations of our faith. Let me just kind of talk you through a few things here about where our faith comes from. And can, can your faith, can my faith stand the test of time? And are we the wise virgins who know Jesus or are we just people who identify as Christians but we really don't have any basis of that? Let me talk about conversion. Let me talk about getting saved. Um, I grew up in an unbelieving home. My parents would have said they were Christians, but my parents weren't Christians. Um, my parents never went to church. I never saw my parents in church. Now, when they, my parents were in their 60s, I led both my parents to the Lord. Uh, and yeah, my mom, my mom's 93 years old. She, she's wonderful, wonderful, sweet Christian person. My dad went to be with the Lord. My dad, just a precious man when he, when he became a believer. But my parents weren't saved, and so I grew up in a, in a heathen home. And I, I mean, I was a sinner. I mean, I was a really, really good sinner. And I mean, I just, that's, that's why I lived. I had no pretense of being a Christian because I wasn't a Christian. And uh, I had never heard the name of Jesus. Um, I, lived, I lived for sports. I lived for girls. I lived for drinking and partying and things like that. I didn't take drugs. They, they weren't really around when I, was, when I was growing up. But I lived to party and do things like that. I had a friend that came to me one time, and he said, uh, I want you to come to summer camp. He was a Baptist. He said, I want you to come to this Baptist summer camp with me. I said, you've got to be joking. I don't want to go to a camp and listen about God all week. He said, you, know, you mean to tell you the girls are going to be there? I went five years. I converted to being a Baptist. And, and I remember at, at all these camps, they had these hotshot Baptist young preachers, really good preachers. And they got up every night and talked about Jesus. I had never heard of Jesus. I was fascinated to hear about Jesus. And I remember listening to them preach, and I thought, you know, probably what they're saying is true, is, but I just don't want to change. And they would have these big altar calls the last night of summer camp every, every year, and they would always try to get me to walk down. I said, no, I just don't want to change. I like to party. I like the girls. And I lived every day to sin, and I, I was very successful. And um, went to college, lived with my brother, went to fraternity parties that were just unbelievably bad. Good, before I got saved, but bad now. And um, that's what I lived for. I just, I just had a list of things I thought would make me happy. And I met Karen when we were in high school, and, you know, she was just a wonderful person. Uh, she didn't know a lot of the stuff that I did. She knew my reputation, but she didn't know a lot of the stuff that I did. But Now, Karen's mother uh, had a Bible study uh, when we got engaged. We got married when we were 19. When we got engaged, Karen's mother had a Bible study praying that we wouldn't get married. <laughs> yeah. And uh, they didn't do a very good job at that. But anyway, it, she, they, didn't want, they didn't want her to marry me, and they had a lot of discernment in there, I can tell you that right now. So, you know... Uh, my friends gave me a bachelor party the week before I got married. And uh, boy, this, it was, it was just, yeah, anyway. So I did all the things that I would normally do and shouldn't do at that party. And so, um, 
I never felt bad about anything. I felt good about it. You know, after a bad night, I felt good. Now, I would lay in bed uh, when I'd come home drunk. I had a little Bible called Good News for Modern Man, a little paperback Bible. And I only read it when I was drunk. And, I, and I'm, I'm ashamed of that. That's not something I'm proud of. But I would come home drunk, and before I passed out, I'd always kind of grab that and look at it. And I would just think, it was all New Testament, and I would just think, you know, Jesus is just a nice person. Right before I passed out, that's what I was always thinking. Jesus is just a nice person. And I'd pass out. But I would remember thinking how empty I was. And I would think, I just did everything today that you would think would make you happy, but I feel empty. And when I'm alone, I feel lonely. Why do I feel that way? And so I never felt bad about anything, but I always wondered why, with all the parting, with all the stuff that I did, why I never felt full in here and happy in here. And so I went to the bachelor party, bad things happened. The next morning I woke up at my friend's house and I went to his bathroom and I looked in the mirror and I didn't like me. I felt bad. I'd never felt bad. And I had very high self-esteem. I had too high self-esteem. And I walked in the bathroom that day and I looked in the mirror and I thought, you're not a good person. And it's just like everything converged in that moment in that bathroom and I said these words, Jesus, I'll follow you for the rest of my life and I'll never turn back. I knew Karen wouldn't marry me after everything I'd done. But sin lied to me. Sin, sin lies. The devil always overpromises and underdelivers. And he promises life and he sucks the life out of you. And when I said those words in my friend's bathroom, Jesus came in my heart. That instant, that void was filled. There's a Jesus-sized hole in all of us and money and sex and drugs and alcohol and all the friends in the world can't fill that hole. Only Jesus can fill that hole. And Jesus came into my life and from that day, that was 49 and a half years ago. Karen and I would be married 50 years this May. 49 and a half years ago. And it's as real right now as it was when I was standing in my friend's Billy's bathroom. And Billy died of alcoholism 10 years later. And my friend David died 15 years later of alcoholism. And all those friends that I partied with, it's just a tragic story. Not one is living for Jesus. Your witness. If someone, if someone comes to me and I'm witnessing to them, it has nothing to do with theology. A lot of people fear witnessing because you think somebody's going to ask you, you know, why would a loving God send people to hell? All these, and none of us can answer those questions. You know what I mean? They're just, they, you know, turn you in a circle and you think, well, I don't want to witness. You know, your witness is your encounter with Jesus. I'm not, if you want to hear my witness, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to tell you any theology. I'm not going to argue with you a bunch of questions you have. I'm just telling you I was empty and Jesus filled me up. I was lonely and he came to me. He's real to me. I'm telling you, Jesus, that's my witness. In other words, my witness is not based on something I heard. It's based on something I experienced. You can't take that away from me. Not in a million years. And sin has no attraction. I'm not a perfect man. I'm just saying going back into a life of sin has no attraction to me. Been there, done that. It doesn't work. But Jesus works. Jesus is real. 
And if you're converted, in other words, there's the 10, there's the 10 virgins, there's the five who know Jesus, and there's the five who say they know Jesus, but they don't know it. And I'm saying Christianity is an interactive, supernatural relationship with Jesus Christ. And if we know him, there should be evidence supernaturally that we know him. Another thing that is a foundation of our faith is hearing God and supernatural direction. I, I stood in my friend's bathroom, my friend Billy's bathroom, and I said these words. I said, Lord, I, I'll serve you for the rest of my life and I'll never turn back. And that instant, I heard, I've never, I'd never heard God before, ever. That instant, I heard these words, never see your friends again. Now, I had friends, I had a lot of friends, and I had 10 best friends, very close friends, most of whom I had known since third grade. And the Lord said to me, standing in the bathroom, never see your friends again. And I was the captain of our baseball team, and that afternoon we had practice, and I had all the gear in my back, in my trunk. And I showed up at practice that afternoon. And um, they all came running to my car. They were all at the party the night before. They all came running to my car and laughing. And they said, Evans, wasn't last night great? And I was taking all the bases and all the bag and everything, put it on the sidewalk. And I said, no. You know, I think they wanted me to be thankful to say, oh, thank you guys for all the beer and all the, you know, all the stuff. And I, I didn't say that. And I said, no, it wasn't good. And they said, what? And I said, I'm not living like that anymore. I'm living for Jesus. Well, that got rid of a, little, a lot of friends real quick right there. I can tell you that. And I said, I'm living for Jesus. I'm not doing this anymore. And I lost every friend I had that day. And they, they cursed at me. I mean, they, they thought I was just crazy. And uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Your friends are your future. And if you have bad friends, you have a bad future. And here's what, I, here's what I didn't know then, but here's what I know now. I would have never survived as a Christian with those friends. They died of alcoholism. Not one of them ever served the Lord. And if, when I would see them on the street or somewhere, they literally would curse at me and say, Evan, what in the blank is wrong with you? Have you lost your blank in mind? And I'd just smile at them. And I'd just think, I feel sorry for you. Don't feel sorry for me. Never see your friends again. So Karen married me. She, you know, she knew something changed in, in me, and we ended up getting married the next week. And uh, we went on our honeymoon and came home. Uh, I worked in a car wash. I was in college, scrub-a-dub car wash. And I worked in a car wash, and I came home and went to work. And I went to work, and I thought, these guys cuss. I cuss like a sailor. I mean, I was a very articulate cusser. I mean, I cussed terrible. And I thought, these guys, this is filthy. And I was about half a day there at the car wash, and I thought, I can't be around this. This is horrible. And so I went home that afternoon. I just thought, and I was worse than all of them two weeks earlier when I was, you know, before I got saved. And so I went home, and I was sitting in the backyard of the house, and uh, I didn't have a Bible. Uh, and I, I think I was, I was reading a book by Billy Graham or something. 19 years old, blonde hair down to here, Marlboro cigarettes in my pocket, still smoked. Marble six rest in my pocket. I mean, I just, uh, two weeks earlier, I was just a wild child. And I'm sitting there in the backyard of my house, and it's like a sheet drops down in front of my face, and I'm seeing myself preaching to this multitude of people. Now, if you'd have gone through Amarillo, Texas, and asked them what child is most likely to become a preacher, I wouldn't have made the top 10,000. 
And that's when God called me to preach. From that moment forward, I had the burning desire to become a preacher. Became a preacher when I was 28 years old, came in the ministry, 29 years old, became senior pastor. Pastored that church for 30 years, became a preacher. At 62 years old, I was preaching for Joel Osteen in Houston. And in Joel's 11 o'clock service, his church is, you know, a former basketball arena, it seats 16,000. But in the 11 o'clock service, he had 12,000 people in that service. So I preached in that service, and Karen and I went back to our hotel room after the service, and Joel's sister, Lisa, who's a friend of mine, she texted me a picture, and she said, hey, Jimmy, we took a picture of you preaching this morning, and I wanted you to have it. You know, Joel's church has that big glow back there, so they took a picture of me from behind. And so I'm sitting here looking at the picture, and I said to Karen, hey, Karen, uh, Lisa sent me a picture of me preaching this morning. And she said, really? And I said, this is the picture that Lord showed me at 19 years old. I didn't know it was a real picture. God isn't in time. You're in time. Time is our prison because of sin. But God is the I am. He spans time. We're like here in time. This is a span of time here. We're here in time. We can't go back. We can't go forward. But God sees time like this. He spans time. He's not in time. In other words, he's standing in our future. And when I was 19 years old, God was standing in my 62 years old sending me pictures. God wants to supernaturally give us direction in our lives. This is John 10. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. John 16, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, however he, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. Listen, and he will tell you things to come. Amen. As believers, we should have a supernatural sense of direction. The, vo the voice of God is always consistent with the word of God. But we should have a sense of where we're going. He's going to tell us things to come. He's going to tell us things about our future to give us hope and to give us direction. That's the reason for that. He doesn't tell us everything about our future. But he tells us enough to give us direction. So my question to you is, do you hear God's voice? Amen. Do you have a sense of what God is saying to you about your future? Because you should. Only God knows Amen. where you should go in your future. And he wants to tell you. Baptism in the Holy Spirit. I... I had never heard of being, about being baptized in the Holy Spirit. I was saved in a denominational church, and they didn't believe in the Holy Spirit. And I never heard the name Jesus growing up until I was in junior high. I never, I never heard the words Holy Spirit until I was watching TV one day, and Pat Robertson said, talked about the Holy Spirit. And um, I went to church and asked about it. That's how I knew they didn't believe in it, because they're, they had kind of a violent reaction. But the... I received Jesus. Jesus came into my heart, changed my life, but I felt powerless to live for God. I would wake up in the morning and I would think, I want to do this and I don't want to do this. I would go to bed at night. I didn't do this. I did all these every day. And I just thought I felt, I feel trapped. I want to live for Jesus, but I just feel powerless to live for Jesus. And I heard about the Holy Spirit on TV. And then we went to a meeting called Full Gospel Businessmen's Demon Shikarian. And it was a ministry dedicated to helping people receive the Holy Spirit. And we went to this meeting and they prayed for us uh, to receive the baptism in the Spirit. 
And Karen and I went home afterwards, and Karen went to bed, and I, I went to the living room, and I knelt down, and I said, Lord, I want everything you have. I, want, I, want, I need the power to live for you. Well, at that moment, it was like someone took a barrel of hot oil and poured it over my head, and I could just feel heat from my head to my toes, and I started speaking in tongues. That was very uh, like caveman talk. It was very crude. But I started speaking in tongues, and it was just an incredible experience. Went to bed, woke up the next morning. The Bible was a very difficult book for me. Well, the Bible was just not a good book to me. I mean, I just, I was a Christian and somebody told me I should read my Bible. I, I didn't understand any of it until I received the Holy Spirit. And the next day when I received the Holy Spirit, I woke up the next morning and opened my Bible. And I thought, now how do I know these people? I know these people. And the Holy Spirit authored the Bible. And now I had the author inside of me telling me what it said. And everything I've preached for the last 40 years, that's where it comes from. The Holy Spirit helping me to understand what the Bible has to say. He gave me power. And I had this list every day of the things I wanted to do and the things I didn't want to do. After I received the Holy Spirit, I did this and I didn't do that. It wasn't perfect. But for the last 40 years, 48 years, I received the Holy Spirit about 48 years ago. He has transformed my ability to live for God. Listen, Jesus, receiving Jesus is about your eternity. Receiving the Holy Spirit is about here. You cannot, Jesus lived with three men for three years. After living with three men for three years, he said to them, you wait in Jerusalem until you're filled with power for on high, you're not ready. They were saved but they didn't have the power of the Holy Spirit. They were not going to be world changers until they had the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm saying to you, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for every person, and young people need it as much as old people. Our children need it. Children don't battle kitty demons. They're battling the real thing. And they're living in an evil world, and we need the fullness of the Holy Spirit. He is a gift of grace that comes freely as we ask him. No one deserves him, but he comes freely when we ask him. And here's the prayer that invokes the Holy Spirit. I need you. It's our weakness that attracts him. Paul says, I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. That's what attracts the Holy Spirit. To the proud, he doesn't help. To the weak, he helps. Number one, last, last one, and then I'll pray for us. Being used of God. Are we saved? Do we hear God? Do we walk in the fullness of the Spirit? Are we being used by God? This is Romans 12. As we have many members in one body, all members do not have the same function. So we being many are one, one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them and if prophecy, let us prophesy in a, in a proportion to our faith of ministry which is serving let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now you have one of those gifts. You probably have two of those gifts at least. These are called motivational gifts. These are in you. You have these gifts. These are resident gifts. And these motivate us. These are the natural things that you do. You don't have to make it happen. You know you're gifting because it's what you naturally do and it's what people see in you. It's what people like about you. And so prophecy just means you're saying something that you believe that God is saying. Exhortation, edification, consolation, it's always good. It's always a blessing. 
Uh, ministry just means serving. Some people just love to serve. Karen, my wife Karen, she hates to be up in front. She, she, if she was here, she'd be back in the nursery right now working. Um, teaching, that's what I'm doing right now. Exhort just means encouragement. If you're an exhorter, don't take it for granted. You're, you're a, a huge blessing to people, your encouragement. Giving is a spiritual gift. There are certain people that have the gift of giving. They're, it's just an, an amazing gift. Leading, mercy, those are giftings in the body of Christ. Listen, you never discover your gift by sitting. You discover your gift by serving. So the more you serve, the more you serve, the more you're going to realize who you are. And that gift is in you to bless other people. And so God wants to use the gift that's in you to bless other people in the body of Christ and beyond. And one more scripture is 1 Corinthians 12. There are diversity of gifts, but the same spirit. There are diversity of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversity of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healings. Notice it's gifts, plural, of healings, plural, by the same spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues, but one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as well. So here are nine spiritual gifts And these are gifts that are available to believers, especially spirit-filled believers who want to be used supernaturally by God. Some of these gifts are residential, which means they're they're permanent. Some of you have a spiritual gift. You know what your spiritual gift is, and you use it as permanent. One of the gifts that I have is the word of knowledge that the Lord uses me in a lot. Some are circumstantial, which means... Any believer can be used, if you're willing to be used, circumstantially, which means you show up in a situation, God wants to use you, the gift appears, you use it, and it disappears. That's circumstantial. A healing, prophecy, whatever it might be. And so there are three speaking gifts, prophecy, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. There are three knowing gifts, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, discerning of spirits. Not word, word of knowledge means you're saying something to someone they don't know. The, the Lord is, you're about to come into a season of provision. That's that's word of knowledge. A word of wisdom would say, you're about to come into a season of provision and the Lord wants you to use that provision to prepare for a transition that's about to happen. Wisdom means I'm going to tell you how to use the knowledge. Uh, discerning of spirits means just spiritual discernment. Well, my wife has a discerning of spirits. And, she, you know, if you're not a good person, you don't want to be around her. She'll know it. Okay, let me say there are three power gifts, gifts of healings, gifts of healings, miracles, which means deeds of power miraculous things, and then faith. And so did you know that God would use you in those things? Uh, All of us, that we're one body, and God severally divides the gifts of the Spirit. And if you would use those gifts, it would change people's lives. Let me tell you a couple of stories, and I will pray for you. So one of the things that the Lord uses me in is the word of knowledge. And so that started many years ago, and I would get these impressions, and I would share these impressions. And And I would find that, you know, in most cases that it was true. So I was in a presbytery. You guys have presbyteries here where you pray over leaders and prophesy over leaders. I was in a presbytery meeting, I don't know, 15 years ago or so. And I was on the platform uh, and we were, we had finished praying for the leaders. And now we were just looking out over the congregation. I think this was a Monday night. There were about 300 people present. And I was just looking out over the group. And I was just asking the Lord, is there, is there anything you would say to me, to anybody here? Well, there was a young lady about halfway back in the middle section, just a normal looking young lady. 
And the Lord said, yeah, yeah, she's a witch. Uh, her grandmother's a witch. Her mother's a witch, and she's a witch, and I'm going to set her free from witchcraft tonight. And I said, now, I'm not going to say that, Lord. You know, I'm, <laughs> I, I hope you understand that, you know, I'm, I'm not going to tell her she's a witch. Monday night in a presbytery meeting, what are the chances of that? And the, now the Lord never says, Jimmy, you're right. And uh, so, you know, he just kept on. You know, no, she's a witch. You're going to tell her she's a witch. And I thought, no, I'm not going to tell her she's a witch. So, I mean, I was just, you know, sweating bullets for however long. I stood up in the nicest way I possibly could. And I told her she's a witch. And your grandmother's a witch, your mother's a witch, you're a witch, blah, 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 like that. And I just thought, this is going to be on the news tomorrow. You know, this is going to be on the news tomorrow. This is going to end badly. This is just not a good thing. So I sit down when I get through giving the word. And, um, and I just, so, I, so the service was over and she found me. By the way, when I said to her, you're a witch, she dropped her head and started crying. And I thought, that's not good. That's not good. So she found me and she walked up to me and gave me a big hug. And she said, my grandmother's a witch and my mother's a witch. And I've lived as a witch all my life. And I've been trying to get out of it, but I couldn't. But Jesus set me free tonight. And, and she said, you see that young man I'm sitting with over there? He's a Satanist, and he came here tonight to see if there was any power in God. And this is the reason people are turning away from Christianity. There's no power in it. For many people, it's a powerless religion because we have forsaken the power of God for the wisdom of men. Say one more story. I always think someday I'm not going to be emotional when I tell this. I was at a presbytery service and there was a couple up on the platform and they were kneeling down and the leaders were praying over them and I was sitting over there just watching and as they were kneeling down, the man was here, the woman was here and I'm sitting over here and I see the Lord walk up and he grabbed this woman's face like this and he leaned over and he was talking to her and the Lord said I want you to walk up and grab her face and I want you to tell her what I tell you and I thought Lord that's strange you don't grab women's faces they don't like that they have makeup on. That makes them irritable. You know, I'm, I'm not a very spiritual person sometimes. So I'm, that's honestly what I was thinking. I was thinking, that's odd. And first of all, you didn't tell me what to tell her. You just want me to go grab her face. And her husband's large, and I don't like it. And so, so I walked up, and I said, can I grab your face? And she said, Yeah. Sorry. 
And I grabbed her face. And the Lord said this. You come out of generations of darkness. And you've battled to get out of it. And you have. You've won. And it will never happen to you and your children. You're free. So I said that. She started crying. And her husband started crying. And first of all, I'm telling her that she came out of generations of darkness and there's hundreds of people in the audience and I'm thinking, okay, her family is a bunch of Mennonites out there now, they hate me because I just told them she came out of generations of darkness. And so I sat down and she came and found me. When the service was over, she found me. The couple did, and she said, you mean to tell you what she said? I said, please, tell me what I said. And she said, I come out of generations of occultism. And she said, um, and I decided, we decided when we got married, we didn't want to be a part of that, so we broke away from it, and it was very, very difficult. She said, there's never been a firstborn male son, there's never been a firstborn male child in our family live past the age of 18. And my firstborn son just turned 17. And since the day he was born, the devil's told us he would take him. And last week, when he turned 17, I was walking at the park and the devil came to me and said, I'll have him this year. And the Lord, that poor woman, you would never know her circumstance. I would never know her circumstance. Battling for the life of her child. And the Lord walks up. Jesus is just so extraordinary. I'm so glad I get to serve him. It's all about his power. It's all about his glory. And we need a faith that's supernatural. We don't need a faith that's based on what men say. We need a faith that's based on what God does. I want you to bow your heads with me if you would. Lord, bless these people. Let our faith be a living faith. Let our relationship with you be a true relationship based on power, based on the supernatural, based on reality. And use us, Lord, to change people's lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us here today for this week's message. And here at Victory Church, we are called to equip people to live in His presence, move beyond ourselves, and be transformed. And this can only happen through your radical generosity, your serving, and your prayers. 
If this message or any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us by giving into this ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at victory.church give. Thank you again for joining us and have a great day.